Hello, I'm Stuart Chittenden, and this is Lives, a conversation featuring fresh voices and diverse perspectives on culture, community, business, and more. My guest today is the chef and entrepreneur, Nina Soji, owner of Okra African Grill. Our conversation today has been recorded by Zoom. Support for this show comes from the Greater Omaha Chamber of Commerce. We don't coast, we accomplish more together. Details at omahachamber.org. Nina Soji first immigrated to America in 1994 with a business visa, hailing from Togo, a West African nation. She began her career as a nurse who had a growing passion for cooking. Nina ran with her heart, opening an African grocery market in Omaha in 2004, and later added a restaurant, and was successful until the 2008 Great Recession. She went on to achieve a culinary degree from Metropolitan Community College and a bachelor's in business management from Bellevue University. It was at Metropolitan Community College that Nina noticed the foods she grew up enjoying in Togo were derived from lots of cultures, French, Spanish, German, Indian, and neighboring African countries. The flavors she grew up loving were a result of her country's complicated history of colonialization, invasion, and political unrest. But the flavors were magical together and sparked her curiosity in experimenting with her favorite Togolese dishes. Nina's restaurant, Okra African Grill, is her vision to bring these dishes to life in Omaha. An homage to all African cultures, and the transcontinental history that have influenced Togolese foods, her cuisine tells a complex story. Nina, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. You have a mission to educate people here about African food, and and I, I look forward to exploring that. And it feels like I should ask you, what are your earliest memories of food? That's literally what I um I try to duplicate here because we were so far away from home. The only thing that brought us comfort, because when we moved here, my sister and I and, you know, the, our little family, uh, we didn't have a lot of, you know, ingredients just right off the bat that we can just grab and go. So we'll go around into different shops and, you know, different places and looking for ingredients that are similar to and try to mimic what we remember as flavor or the taste of the house tomato sauce, the way it tastes back there is just a little bit different. So here we have to retard ourselves how to cook because not every ingredient like the tomato, for example, tomato back home, you have to, you know, we have that little model that uh, Mexican use to kind of uh, Asian use it to, to grind chilies, that's kind of like the flat version. It's kind of like a marble that we use back home to break the tomato and peppers. But the tomato back home is is more like an organic type of tomatoes, so it's not as watery as tomato you find here. So here we have to do, with at the beginning, we start using tomato sauce. 
And then we were like, okay, it's sometimes it's too sweet, sometimes it's not. Okay, if we add a little bit of uh, tomato paste to it, how will it turn out? Oh, that's too sour. And and then when the tomato is too watery, how can we thicken it out? You literally have to become a, a scientist, a math scientist, add things together and tasting it. And you know, okay, today is it might be too. Uh, too sour or something and maybe tomorrow if we add a little bit of baking soda it might make it sweet but if you add too much it's too sweet and it took a while to like literally master that flavor and be like yes this is what it tastes like and I'm gonna keep it that way you know so all the way down to fufu for example fufu is made out of um, a yam flour uh, yam is uh, in a variety of potatoes. They grow like potatoes. You use them like potatoes. I mean, you can dice them. You can peel them. They are gray on the outside and a little bit yellow on the inside. So they are like a cross between a potato, uh, not a sweet potato, a, um, or a golden potato. So they look yellow like golden potato, but they are brown on the outside like a regular potato, but they are much bigger. To get that, get that little bit of a starchiness out of it, what we started to do is we use potato flakes because we noticed that the potato flour was too, not so, it didn't taste like potato. But the flakes taste a little bit more like potato. But how can we mimic the starchiness? So we add a little bit of cornstarch to it. And then how can we mimic the sweetness? So we add a little bit of sugar. Sometimes, oh, we add too much sugar. It was too sweet. It doesn't taste like that. So we reduce until we found the balance. So they can be able to still have that taste of Africa, like what we left behind. The simplest example is my grandma. She used to come in the house at five o'clock in the morning on a Saturday morning. And she'll use this mortar and ground some chili and put it on the side. And then ground some tomato and put it on the side and cut up onion. She'll cut up some tomato. And if she have a little bit of a, uh, green pepper, she can, but back there is really, we are not big on green bell peppers. And then a, a little bit of uh, squeezed lemon and a pinch of salt. So it's kind of like a tomato salad. And I have it here at Okra. And then she'll have like a little smoked fish on the side. And there is this paste, you know, uh, some people call it ugali. We call it akume. It's like a cornmeal paste. Uh, it's kind of like um, grits, but smoother. And then we make a paste of it. Um, and then you kind of dip it into the hot sauce and the tomato. She would come wake us up at 6 o'clock in the morning. I mean, God knows this meal is supposed to be for lunch, not breakfast. You know, she doesn't come often. And she'll come. I'm the first one because I'm always delighted to see her. She was the sweetest thing ever. and. I'll help her kind of gather things and put it together. And we'll make that and I'll eat it and hang out with her like for an hour or two. And that was my best memory ever. I still try to mimic the taste. I just, I just can't get it to the level of the type of love she put into it when she come on Saturday morning and do that, you know. So there's a combination there of, of at least two things happening. One is the ingredients that were available to you in Togo. Mm -hmm. And then and then the other part of it was about how it was actually prepared and made. Yes. 
it sounds like you've been doing some work of trying to replicate that. But I'm curious yeah. what your thoughts are about the ingredients that you have to work with here. If you're able to get the ingredients you want, if you can't get those ingredients, it sounds as if you're you know, scientifically working on them to, to get them as close as you can to this memory you have. Yes. I have, I have found uh, a lot of the ingredients, but it's more the love that she put in it, you know? Is the love that made it taste how it tastes. That's what I'm finding out now, you know, not before. Because it was the simplest dish. She didn't really put a whole lot. It was just tomato, onion, and salt. But the level of love she put in it, when she was leaving our house, she'll get some rice and some, you know, some little chicken if we have some chicken. She'll cook the whole thing and call all the kids from the neighborhood to come eat it. As happy as I am to see her on Saturday morning and eat my little acumen and fish, the other kids get, they are like anticipating her return. And I mean, we're talking about 15, 20 kids, you know, and they grew each week because when she started, it was just a few kids. And then the older one heard of it. And next thing you know, they they flock. You know, they flock. And it was so good that she had passed on. And I've been here, what, 28 years. And I just went home uh, um, first in two, 2015 for 20, after 20 years. And I just went last year for my dad's funeral. And I visited her home. Literally, her block became like a market because while she was feeding the, the kids, she had, if somebody carried something on her, their head and they were walking around selling it and there's the blazing sun, she'll say, come here, I'll give you a glass of water. Come sit down for a little bit. Come put that stuff around. And she'll chat with them and have, now it became a market. People, long after she passed, they still come and sit under that tree. That tree became a bigger tree now. But when I went back, that's what I noticed. I'm like, oh, my God, she has started something. That's why I can only aspire to that level of love. In, in the bio that I read, you referenced mm -hmm. some of those cultural traditions that have influenced 
Togolese yeah, so cuisine. Yeah, so the spices and all of that. Oh, yes. Uh, so I'll give you another example. I don't serve it here, but my mom was big on sauerkraut, bacon, and sausage. You know where I'm going with this already, right? So I didn't actually know that was German until I went to culinary school. We were colonized by German at the beginning of World War One into World War Two before Togo was split in three through the treaty. One part went to Benin, which is French at that time. One part went to Ghana, which is English at that time. And whatever was left was Togo, which remained French. So then we start getting influence from uh, beignets and uh, uh, flan, uh, baguettes and croissants. And, you know, and when I went to culinary school, guess what? They taught Escoffier. And Escoffier is the, is the grandfather of French cuisine, the line as we know now that I practice and everybody else practice is from Escoffier. So when we start learning Escoffier recipe books and I start noticing the stew, the, I used to make a tomato sauce and cabbage and carrot and eat it with rice. That's a, that's a basic Escoffier right there. That's a French cuisine, it's a stew, you know? And stew is everywhere in Togo and a lot of French-related countries, you know? And then we use spices like black pepper, anise, uh, cloves. Those are Indian spices that came way down from slavery time. I mean, let's even leave the Germans alone. Slavery time, and they were traded as commodity at that time and salt between, you know, and then we were taking... Uh, 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 um, those ingredients stayed. People were taken to South, Af- uh, South America for, you know, for labor. And then from there, they brought plantain. They brought the yam that I was telling you about is not originally from Togo. They brought yuca. All of that is in South America. So they brought it back to Spain and Portugal and they brought it back to, on their boat. And because our earth was really good and was really tropical, just like them, we planted it, it took, and it became our food, you know? So it sounds as if there's a huge amount of cross-cultural traditions and a fusion. For sure. Are you creating your own sort of unique fusion of Togolese infused with American infused with um, Nina Soji's? Yeah, I mean, this is what makes this concept the golden goose because the concept that I have doesn't exist. That's why American or African-like, when they come, they get confused because they are expecting the stew. But I noticed I did the authentic stuff before. You know, I I made the bone-in goat meat with pepper soup and everything in there. I mean, I still serve it now, but just as a specialty. But taking the meat out, taking the sauce out, that's my creation. That's not anywhere in Africa that you'll see it like that. So that's why when they come, they go, oh, this is not African food. But have you tasted? Until they taste it, they go, oh, my, yeah, oh, yeah, this is a good one. You know? So now I serve, let's give it a simple example, peanut butter chicken. Back home, the way we'll cook it is I'll cut up like a, a chicken thigh or drumstick with a bone in, and I'll deep fry it. I'll stew it first, take it out, use the juice as the broth, 
make the sauce, make tomato sauce, add it together, add the fried chicken back in the sauce. And the secret ingredient is that it's called a calabash nutmeg. Uh, it's a little top of uh, seed and we crush it and we put it in the sauce. That literally, when you smell that, anybody, any Togolese guy or girl that come in the door, when they smell that, they send them back home in the jiffy. <laughs> you know? Uh, you have all of that as a stew, so then you add it to the rice and that's it. But okra or Nina version of a peanut butter chicken is grilled chicken, not fried. And I have the sauce on the side, the chicken on the side. If you want chicken, you can use it with a, a different sauce other than the peanut sauce. I have spinach sauce. I have, I have a house tomato, which derived from Spain, from the mother sauce, uh, the tomato mother sauce. Uh, I have now okra sauce, uh, gumbo, the tomato sauce, and okra. So you can literally mix and match what you want. So when people come and say, oh, make me something, I'm like, what do you feel like eating today? It's not about me. I gave you a variety of things, you know. Back home, we don't have corn on our peanut butter chicken. But I thought, oh, roasted corn, it'll give a little bit of sweetness. You know, Americans know corn. If I use that, boom, that's another good one I can add. Sweet potato. Sweet potato that I know back home you can find it here uh, in the Asian store. They call it Japanese potato. It's not orange like the sweet potato that America has. It's more yellowish and it's a little bit harder, not as soft. But I'm like, African-American loves sweet potato. Everybody knows how sweet potato is here. So if I serve it, they'll get it. And it's nutritious. And is actually, can I find it? Because that's another question. I study a lot, you know, like study older culture and an older way of doing things. Because before I came up with this concept for Mokra, it took me 10 years between the old restaurant and this one. And I tried to figure out what I did wrong in the older one. What was the mistake that I made? You know, I was too much based on Africans, but we are only 0.000001%. And a lot of them don't eat out. That niche can only cover a thousand people. It sounds like not only have you, over the years, perfected uh, the art of experimenting and coming up with a fusion of flavors and mm -hmm. styles, but also mm -hmm. you've gone about the process of deconstructing foods as well. Yeah.
How did you come to be in Omaha? How did you come from Togo to be here? And then how did the first, you know, the first business start and okay. end? Oh, okay. Um, so when I was coming to America for the first time, it was because my sister was here. And she was here because her husband was here. So when they met, when my sister and her husband met back home, he always had that dream of leaving Togo. Um, and they just got married and he left and came here. And he was in Washington, D.C. at that time. My sister was pregnant when he left. So uh, fast forward a year later, um, after the, the child, uh, my sister moved to join the husband here in America and they were living in D.C. She had a son and the son was starting to have some health issues. And there was a friend of the family that was living in Omaha. And she's like, you know what? You guys just moved here. There's a plenty of hospital here and they might help you better. You know, and th there's a lot of language barrier and she's a little bit more She's from Ghana. We speak English. So she, she's a little bit more fluent in English than they are. So she's like, you guys come over here. I'll help you out. You know, and then they moved here and they started going to UNMC. So long story short, three years into it, and I came with a business visa to retail some outfit and stuff and for me to go back. I didn't meant to stay. That's when I heard that first word for the first time, cerebral palsy. And by then, my sister had another child, another son. He was a year old. He had the same exact thing as the first one. So it was a terrible trauma in some ways that, yes. that brought you to Omaha. Yes. Yeah, I mean, because my sister came and then I kind of, when I came there and I was like, oh, my God, and she needed the help. And we are the only two girls. She need my help more than my business of selling cloth and or outfits and whatever that may be.
you know, you were talking about the first restaurant, Okra African Grill is, is your second. Yes. So jumping back, um, mm-hmm. what was the first restaurant? Guys in Africa are not taught to cook. They are taught to become the men of the house and the women will cook for them. But nobody thought that things will go bad enough for us to travel and let alone travel all the way to America by themselves without the wives or the girlfriends and they still have to eat. So next thing I know, my little niche of, you know, composing my own dish, they'll come to my house and uh, my ex-husband will invite them and he'll be like, oh my God, she knows how to cook. Can you make some sauce for us? Then make a plot of this and a plot of that. And next thing you know, it became more popular. So on the weekends, I was making more sauces than I was making money being a nurse. You know, I was like, okay, there's more into this. So it started to grow. So when uh, um, uh, the grocery time came, I literally started with a lady on 72nd year. She was an Asian lady. And every time we would go and buy like rice and veggies and ginger or small stuff like that, she would say, oh, where are you guys from? And what, you know, what type of food do you like? And she's like, okay, I have this guy. He say he have African stuff. Tell me something that I can get for you. And I say, okay, why don't you get me some anise? So I started to teach her all of the African ingredients that we can pretty much have. One day I look at my sister, I'm like, we can literally do this and do even more. You know, I can cook. I can make the food ready to go. Instead of tell people, go to South Omaha and get plantain, go to the Asian market on on 30th and get rice. They have the best jasmine rice and go to Alberson to get the sardine. Instead of doing that, I can open the store and bring all of that to me. It's a one-time shop. And then there's a need to expand, you know, and then I move it to Harrison Street. So then I took up a big of space, but my mistake there is I went too far in. I should have stayed in where I am now on 72nd. So the timing and some of the choices, as you look back on it now, you're sharing with me that, you know, the timing was bad because of the Great Recession. Some business choices that didn't work for you as you look back on them. What have you learned from those experiences that informed you setting up Okra African Grill? Like, What's the story behind setting up Okra African Grill? Well, I didn't really want it to do have anything to do with cooking anymore. I just like, you know, and my kids were really young at that time. My son come look at me one day and say, mom, you can just literally go back to nursing. It will be just fine. I prayed on it. I prayed on it. Sometimes that's why praying is bad for you. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so a friend of mine came in the house and said, you know what, Nina? You are not the type to sit around and just pout all day long. Why don't you go? There's a culinary school around. Why don't you go and see what you can figure out? You know? And I said, okay, uh, I know how to cook. I don't know what they're going to teach me there. But I'm like, okay. I mean, I have free time. I don't have any more money after bankruptcy by then. So it's like, okay, why not? Let me go try that. So I went there and they go, whoa, this is what I needed. I did everything backward. Like I literally did. I should have gone to cooking school, learn how to open a business, and then open it. But 
you know, knowing me, I, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have done exactly the way that I did. <laughs> because I'm a spur of the moment type of person. I'm like, oh, wow, I can learn a lot of things here. So, you know, every time I take any class, I'll come home and jot it down. I'll make it like a, a menu or a recipe. I'll just put it in my computer and just leave it there. And, you know, and I started to write a cookbook, you know, and start like putting down the sauces and writing those things down. And all those just things that I learned through the classes that they taught you how to do. And I'm like, okay, it would be good to have a, actually a, a recipe book and a this and that and that kind of thing. But then uh, in 2018, I went to, um, I visited, uh, there's a, another friend of mine um, that had, that do um, African summit. Now it's called a global summit in Omaha. Is like a, a whole international networking of Americans meet Africans and what can we learn from each other and how can we teach each other type of thing. He sent me the ticket and I went to the um, to the summit and they had a lunch. They had a lunch in between, and we were in the line and we were all kind of just walking toward getting some food. And you know, I just. I'm a listener, you know, I just kind of like pay attention to what everybody's doing or saying or whatever that may be. And there was a, a, a white lady in front of me and um, she literally burst. You could say her, I wouldn't call it dismay, but she was so disappointed because I didn't notice that she's like, I, I came to an African summit and I'm eating tacos. And I literally just cringed behind her. <laughs> I was like, ooh, yeah, yeah, you can be in African summit and be eating tacos. That, that's, a, that's, a, that's a big no-no because we stand, food stand on our culture. Uh, food is synonymous with African culture. You can have African culture and not have food. Those two are the quintessential, I'll say, of what we are. So I know in this concept, that's what he was able to do because a lot of eventists don't take outside caterers. So all he can do with the hall he got to host the event is to cater the people's food. And the closest thing that he could offer was a salad taco bar, you know? Business-wise and living in America a long time taught me that just what it is. But at the same time, it woke up that jump into action kind of person as I can solve that problem. I know how to cook. I'm African and I know how to cook African food. Why not merge the two? Yeah, I've been buzzing on your love Just like a honeybee Oh, I don't know how you do it Something so sweet, now I'm used to it Yeah Oh, we're flying with your love It's where I'm supposed to be Look at this view, I just knew it You see me too and me through it Yeah you're my garden in the park 
Every flower a beautiful remark So much color all the day long And dusk to dawn How I miss you when I'm gone But I'll be running to your love It's a pace I know perfectly Straight to you like a bullet I'll run that race, nothing to it You're my chorus in a song You can sing it, I'm there right along But the story takes a twist And I, I guess listeners will see this coming so you surmount all of these obstacles, your own internal mm-hmm. reluctance, but you see the market opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know you have mm-hmm. talent. You've been mm-hmm. to the culinary school and you've got your business mm-hmm. management degree. I mean, all of these things, you've committed to opening Okra African Grill, and then it opens in March 2020. I'll never forget it. Two days because I was rushing around here trying to get the inspection and everything ready. Saturday, we had a great sale. Sunday, we started hearing there's something going on. And there's like through the grapevine, there might be a shutdown or blah, blah, blah. My son's birthday was on the 16th, uh, which I know uh, followed St. Patrick's Day. So, you know, the governor came on TV and started saying, he didn't want a lot of people to start coming out um, uh, to drink on that Tuesday because of St. Patrick's Day. And I'm like, that's not a big deal. That's all they do. You know, I just keep thinking that in my head. But by Monday, like, wow, it, it really goes from just a small thing to like a CD shutdown. And by Friday, it was like nobody in the dining room. And I was like, oh. How did you adapt? Remember the prayer that I made? I said, God, please bring people that's going to help me to my life to help me push this thing along. I just went home one day. My dad had cancer and he was living with me at that time. And I was like, how am I going to pull this? People, you know, I mean, I have to kind of lay some people off. And I was here. There's nobody here. And I saw on TV, Maya from Channel 3, oh, she was doing um, uh, Take Out Tuesday at that time. But because they shut all the restaurants down, she was literally, they kind of turned it around and say, we want to help uh, restaurants, you know, kind of survive this thing. And, you know, and just turned the TV on. And she came up and said that. And I just jot down her number and I called her. She's like, oh, my God, I'm going to come. And she came right on the next day. She came with Facebook Live. She came with uh, 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 Take Out Tuesday, but she came and do the tasting here. I mean, like, she was all over. She put me out there. People from uh, 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 on Facebook, I literally just, like, say it out there, like, how this is going to happen. And then the Omaha Food Lovers, they started to come and come around, uh, then hoping He's a food influencer in Omaha. I mean, like people started to call me left and right. And, you know, there was these guys too, they do movies, but because of the pandemic, they did a, a series of movies around uh, uh, restaurants at that time. So things starting to come up like that. 
the lady that did my um she's still the one that does it uh my uh, logo she just went to become a freelance uh, graphic designer and here is the pandemic and she doesn't have any work so she's like you know what Nina? i love your story and i want to really kind of help you get out there um there's this great guy he's from senegal which is another french country he's uh, a, a whiz on computer programming he's the one that designed my website so we started to push more stuff on the website and start offering other things that's even when i brought the african specialty back you know i, I asked my landlord to be able to open the window they said they could do that but i say i can be curbside i mean i went for this i mean i'm following try to pick up news from everywhere on trend that other people are doing you know how are they surviving how other people are making this work so i was able to be flexible and work all the hours you know have you had trouble getting ingredients because of the pandemic and supply lines and these sorts of things yes late, lately yeah uh before Goat meat is the biggest thing now. Goat and lamb. Uh, goat, I literally took that out of the menu for now because I'm like, I just can't afford to sell it. I mean, I have to sell one bowl for $30 and people are not like, oh, people are giving me bad reviews on Google just because, oh, it's so expensive. Now I'm like, okay, what do you think? I'm not killing the goat in the back of my truck or anything. You know, I'm going to restaurant depot and other places to get it. So if it's hard for them to get, and they up the price i can sell it for you at the bottom line price it just doesn't make sense this is a business you know i still have to sustain and things are so expensive now during Chris, uh, the christmas area um i couldn't find cups to save my life my juice i, I sell um, my lemonade i have four type of lemonade and i use this 20 ounce cup and cisco is the only one that really gets them and they were like three months out because the plastic they use for the the cups come from china and the border is closed lamb come from australia it's not local so it's like twice the price chicken beef everything so it's just like wow what do you do how do you adapt and labor is another thing that's really killing us you know the walmart and big corporation are paying 16 17 18 an hour This is a restaurant. Restaurant don't pay much because how much are we going to sell the bowl? You know? So people not really looking to that and sometimes it's hard lately. I restructured my menu uh, back in January and oh my, some days it's just we just have to walk away and scratch our head. Price might even go even higher. So but again, I'm riding on faith. <laughs> Remember? So I, I I just have to hang in there, you know. I'm into my purpose, and God is going to lead me there.
So I really appreciate your fortitude and your flexibility and the fact that you have weathered um, the pandemic this far. Obviously, the pandemic's mm-hmm. not finished, but hopefully we yeah, see, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. So I really appreciate it. now I'm moving. Yeah. <laughs> so clearly you're growing. What would you like people to know about Togolese food? And especially, what would you like people to know about the food that you're offering people and the community space that you're offering people within your restaurant at Okra African Grill? I have always had this quote, just make it simple because we always have to eat. It's as simple as that. I just wanted to give love. You know, with Okra, the division doesn't just stay on the West Coast of Africa. I want eventually to be the, the, the idea and it still is, the vision is to be able to travel, to go to Zimbabwe, South Africa, Kenya, Ethiopia, and meet those grandmas out there, you know? It's to save the recipes, to save the culture. You know, she can teach me how to make her little rice pumpkin, whatever, whatever they made in Ethiopia, I don't know. But I'll be honored to learn that and come back and portray here and say, Grandma Essie from Kenya taught me how to make this. I hope it tastes like the way your grandma used to make it. My taste buds are already watering at the idea of you going, learning, and bringing right, that back. Right, and bringing all of that back, yeah. Through okra, I just want people to discover that because everywhere you go, when you say African food, nobody knows what it is. I just wanted to build that bridge, you know, between the cultures. And I believe I've done that, you know, just to kind of merge the two and say, if I, I say, have you ever eaten Asian food? Yeah, you know how Asian food is. You know how Mexican food is. You know how Indian food is. You know how Philippine or uh, uh, Japan, you know. But nobody know what African food is like. That, I wanted to to solve, and I believe I did. My guest today has been the chef and entrepreneur, Nina Soji, owner of Okra African Grill. Nina, thank you so much for chatting this afternoon. It's been it's been really wonderful. Thank you for having me. Support for this show comes from the Greater Omaha Chamber of Commerce. We don't coast. We accomplish more together. Details at omahachamber.org. That's the end of this week's show. You can listen again to this show and others by subscribing to the podcast at livesradioshow.com and find us on social media at Lives Radio Show. The music playing you in and playing you out each week 
was created specially for the show by Andrew Bailey. I'm your host, Stuart Chittenden, and this is Live's radio show and podcast. Join me next week for fresh voices and diverse perspectives on culture, community, and more. Thank you.